you continue to outdo yourself. That was a marvelous worship service. Thank you. You hear these glorious little voices one after another, and you say, how many more of them can they have in one little group of kids? Man, that was good. The book of Revelation might seem an odd book to be studying as we prepare for Christmas in the Advent season, but in fact, it is perfectly appropriate. It's leading us up to the anticipation of the birth of the God-child. In chapter 4, we have a glimpse of the holiness of God. It is a worship scene. We see a door open and we look into heaven and there is one seated on the throne. We don't even know who he is. He is not even named, but we know it is God. And all around him are creatures who from the beginning of eternity have existed for the purpose of singing the praises of this holy God. So we know the holiness of God. But the second thing we discovered last week at the beginning of chapter 5 is the common human dilemma. See, John was looking at the whole scene and he notices in the hands of the one who is sitting on the throne. He notices in his right hand a scroll with writing on it and sealed with seven seals. And we are led to believe that this scroll is the unfolding of human history. It is God's plan for the rest of the world, the rest of time. And here comes the question that every human being finds themselves asking. Who am I? Who is God? What is my future? What is the future? What part do I play in this? And John is so excited because he wants to catch a glimpse of this, as does every human being. We want to know what part we play in God's grand scheme for life. And then John discovers the horrible news that there is no one who is found worthy to open this scroll. An angel cries out and says, who will come and open it? And yet no one is found who is worthy. And John is faced with the great human dilemma, which is the hopelessness of humankind. When we see our holy God and we realize that in our own broken state, we know that we are not worthy to delve into the mysteries of God's mind. And so we have this horrible conundrum. The holiness of God, the hopelessness of humankind, what will be done? We come this morning to our text. Turn with me to Revelation. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Then I saw... In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. 
and they will reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now, God, unfold your mysteries to us as we consider your word. Divine them for us, for we are not worthy, nor are we able to understand the, the truths of eternity. Speak them to our hearts now, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Stop your crying, says one of the 24 elders. For all of his heavenly life, this elder had existed for one purpose. And that purpose was every time the four creatures that were in front of the throne offered up their praise, he along with the other 23 elders would leave their thrones that were circled around the throne and they would fall down to the ground, prostrate themselves and worship the Lord. That is what he had done for all of his heavenly life. He was created for that purpose. And suddenly, in a moment of divine and glorious heavenly compassion, this elder who was created by God to sing God's praises stops his singing. While the others presumably continue, he turns to this mortal who he sees weeping. And he says, stop crying. I know you're disappointed. I know you're, you're disappointed because you don't think anyone is going to come who is able to open these seals and open the scroll and reveal what is inside. But don't cry because I tell you, there is someone who is worthy. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Root of David. He is victorious. He has triumphed. And he is worthy. If there was anything that was going to dry the eyes of a first century Jew, this kind of language would have done it because this is Messiah talk. When he taught lion, he, the, the lion of Judah, he says. Who is this lion of Judah? The lion, did you know, is the most mentioned animal in all of Scripture? But if you were a first century Jew and you heard talk of the lion of Judah, immediately the thought that would have gone to mind was out of Genesis 49. When Jacob blessed his 12 sons, when he came to, Jake, to uh, Judah, he said, Judah, you are a lion. And there will arise out of you a lion who will rule the world. This was the beginning of the, the anticipation of the messianic hope coming out of the tribe of Judah. So the Lion of Judah, that would mean Messiah to anyone who knew what they were talking about. And Root of David. Actually, there's a passage in, in Isaiah chapter 11 where it says there will be a, a shoot that will come forth out of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And again, it was the promise of a coming Messiah. And it says he will rule with justice, but he will slay the iniquitous. He will destroy the wicked on the world, and all of the righteous will be set up. He will rule with peace, justice, power, and authority. And so these images brought together would be vivid imagery. Vivid imagery for someone who knew his Old Testament as this man surely did. The Lion of Judah. The Root of David. So John wipes his tears and he begins to look around. He is in anticipation of the coming. He says, look, the Lion of Judah. And so he's looking for this great lion, this warrior king. Where is he? Where could he be? And with his dried eyes, he turns and he sees what one theologian has described as the most wrenching change of imagery that you'll find in the Bible. For when he turns, he discovers not a lion, but what? A lamb. Do you see that? He says, behold, it is the lion of Judah who is victorious. He has won the victory. He turns to look for a lion, and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. In fact, the words are very clear. It's not even an adult sheep. The word is specifically little lamb. The Greek word is little lamb. And so the imagery is even starker. He's expecting a lion, and he sees a baby lamb. 
He's expecting the lion of Judah, and instead he sees a little lamb. But that's not all. What is the condition of that lamb? As if he, as if he has just been slain. You would have understood what that was if you were a Jew at the time because it was a part of temple sacrifice. They took a sharp knife and they would draw the knife from ear to ear. Sacrifice the, the animal. The blood would pour forth and they would place it on the burnt offering. I was uh, in Israel a, a couple, three times ago. We made a stop that I've never been back to, but it was really one of my most powerful stops. It was at Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is traditionally the site of the transfiguration. It's a long climb to the top, but when you get there, there is a beautiful church, and we went inside to the chancel area, which is domed, and as we were worshiping there, we looked up, and there on the dome was an array of gorgeous mosaics, but at the centerpiece of these wonderful works of art was one particular work that is still emblazoned in my memory. It was a stark white lamb standing there looking down at the worshiper, but its neck is severed from ear to ear, and the red mosaic tiles flow down the front of the lamb's breast. It is exactly this image of a lamb that has been slain and yet stands before the throne and stands before the worshiper that this mosaic was drawn from. It is powerful, powerful imagery. There are all kinds of images of lambs packed into the Old Testament. You remember some of them? Remember Passover. It was the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and lintel that would save the firstborn from the angel of death, the last of the plagues that came through to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Isaiah 53 talks about the Messiah as a lamb that is led to slaughter. Do you remember that? We have also, and when we come to the New Testament, there's another image of lamb that takes place because it is John who brings it full circle. Do you remember when Jesus was walking to his baptismal waters in the Gospel of John? What were John the Baptist's first words when he saw him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Say it with me. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The scriptures are packed with image of sacrificial lamb. Sacrificial lamb. And we see it perhaps most vividly in this text today. We do not know why it is so. But God has decreed from the beginning of humanity that it is only with the blood of a spotless sacrifice that atonement can be made for sin. We don't know why it is, but that is what God has said. And let us never forget, as we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating a baby who was born to die. His perfect... His purpose in coming was that he might be the perfect sacrifice for the sin of humanity. That he might pay the price that we could not ourselves pay. On this last trip to Israel, one night we ate in a Bedouin tent on a field in the town of, near the town of Bet-Sahur. Bet-Sahur is the shepherd's field. It's just outside of Bethlehem. It was the site of what we just saw taking place earlier today. And it was pretty profound to be standing there and look up into the black skies and realize that it was against that stage that the greatest spectacle was set that human eyes had ever seen. The angels appeared to these poor shepherds, scared them out of their minds, and said, go to Bethlehem for we have a surprise for you. But what you may not know is why they were there in that spot so close to 
uh, Jerusalem. It seems that the lambs, the sheep that were raised by the shepherds, that were tended by the shepherds in Beth Sahur, in the shepherd's field, it seems that they were expressly used for one purpose. They were sacrificial lambs. Those in the shepherd's fields were raised to be killed, raised to be slain on the altar in the temple to provide atonement. Do you appreciate the irony of it then? For when these shepherds went to that manger in Bethlehem and looked upon the eyes of the God-child, they were looking at the one who would take away their jobs. Because with the coming of Jesus, we now had the perfect, permanent Passover lamb. It never be done again, because in the sacrifice of Jesus, it was done perfectly. This scene in chapter 5, I believe, is pivotal to the whole book of Revelation. In fact, chapter 4 and 5, I think, are the spoke upon which the whole wheel turns. But I, and I think this may be one of the most powerful images of a central and key truth, maybe the key truth of the entire New Testament. And what is that? It is victory through sacrifice. Victory through sacrifice. What were the Jews expecting? They were expecting Messiah. They were expecting the Lion of Judah. They were expecting the Root of David. What did they get? The slain Lamb of God. The the Lamb who came and taught us that when someone strikes you on your cheek, you turn and give the other to him to strike as well. The Lamb who taught us that when someone takes our coat from us, we offer our cloak as well. The Lamb who taught us that the meek shall inherit the earth and blessed are the peacemakers and that the poor in spirit will see God. This is the Lamb of God. This is victory through suffering. This is the one that we saw in this image today. And ultimately, it was this Lamb who allowed himself to be arrested and tortured and spiked to a cross. And we watched as his lifeblood slowly dripped from his nail-pierced wounds. It was a spear thrust from a soldier that spilled the last of the precious blood that remained in that great heart. It was the most unexpected, most unreasonable, most counterintuitive scheme ever devised. If we were God, we would never have done it this way. But we were not. And he did. The eternal Son of God, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, became the Lamb of God to purchase our redemption. St. Augustine put it this way. Listen to these words. Proud man would have died had not a lowly God found him. Proud man would have died had not a lowly God found him. Here we discover the solution to our great dilemma of hopelessness. Holy God, hopeless humanity. How in the world can a God who is perfect put up with me in all of my imperfection? What can I possibly do? And the cry comes from heaven, you can do nothing, but I have done it all. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We hopeless humans find our healing. Here's the Christmas story in a nutshell. Mary had a little lamb. And he was sacrificed for you and for me. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. 
There is so much more to be said about this text, and I will deal with it again next week. It is too good to leave behind. More to be said. What is seven horns, seven eyes? What is all that stuff? Next week, Christmas Sunday, we will deal with it again. But there's one thing I want to say before we leave this text today, and that is this. Because of this image, the suffering soul here can never say, God does not understand my pain. He does not know what I'm going through. You see, in the Lion of Judah becoming the Lamb of God, our God knows exactly what you are going through. He understands your anxiety and your fear. He understands your humiliation. He understands your rejection and your betrayal. He understands your physical torment. He understands the fear of death. He understands what it is to lose a child. All because the Lion of Judah became the Lamb of God. I know a handful of your stories. Some of you are in torment this week. A woman backs over her own three-year-old boy. And he may be paralyzed. Can God possibly understand the torment you are facing? The answer is yes. A man faces debilitating depression and a sense of absolute utter worthlessness. Can God understand the torment that you are facing? The answer is yes. The Lamb of God suffered as no one has ever suffered before, and through that suffering came victory. Why is it that in the last of this verse, the heavenly singers declare him worthy to break open the seals and open the scroll? Was it because he was the conquering Lion of Judah? Is it because he is the the root of David? Is that why he is worthy? They say it clearly and specifically. You are worthy because you were slain. Victory through suffering. Victory through sacrifice. Whatever you are suffering today, my brother and sister in Christ, the Lamb of God can lead you through to your victory too. Let us pray. Holy Lord Jesus Christ, we we bow our hearts before you. We confess that you alone are worthy of our praise. You who were the Lion of Judah and became the Lamb of God, slain for us. We will never understand it. We cannot imagine it. We do not get it. But you are precious to us because we have been precious to you. Thank you for your gift. Suffering Christ who knew the pain of humanity, would you touch the hearts of broken people today? That they, in realizing your understanding of their pain, might discover the victory that is theirs in you. For we pray all of these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. This was not in the plan, but we could not end this without singing this song. Let us join together and sing Lamb of God. Why don't we stand and sing? Make your praises to the Lord. Your only son, no sin too high, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty son and to become the Lamb of God. Your gift of love, they crucified. Humble King, Son of 
Oh, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so lost, I should have died, but You have brought me to Your side to be led by Your staff and rod, and to become a lamb. Oh, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Precious Christ, you have given everything to us, and now we give back something of ourselves. May this be more than money drawn from our wallets. May it be a an expression of love poured forth from our hearts as we thank you for your sacrifice. Amen. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel came to them and said, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Go tell it off the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watch. Silent flocks by night. 